Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between healthcare workers and first responders and everything in between. Hey, everybody. So glad to be back with you on the podcast this week. This week, I have a recording of the last webinar that I held of how to become a flight nurse or flight medic. I'm joined by my guest, Ray Guajardo, who is also a flight paramedic, and he does some Q&A uh, questions with me during this during this webinar, and um, you'll get a lot of good information. I really feel like there's a huge gap between um, finding information on how to become a flight nurse, how to become a flight paramedic, if you don't know somebody who's already doing it. And there's just a lot of disseminated information out there. So I wanted to have a place where people could come, ask the questions that they wanted to ask about their um, individual circumstances and really how to fast track themselves to getting um, to these kind types of jobs if that's what they want to do. So that is what I do help mentor and coach people in. Um, as well as other healthcare workers and first responders in any other areas of their life that they want to up level. Um, and so I hope you enjoy this Q&A session um, where we get to answer a lot of questions, that common questions that people have about it. And you get to hear a little bit more about how I prep you if um, this is a coaching that you choose and mentoring that you choose to get from me. Um, in my program. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this webinar and I hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, I am just going to give everybody just uh, one more minute to get on, but I just want to do an audio check and make sure that you can hear and see the both of us okay. Um, if you could just put that in the chat box or the Q&A box for us and let us know, that would be great. Um, and then I will just give about 30 more seconds. Thank you, Noah, for letting us know it sounds okay. Um, about 30 more seconds for anyone else to come on who uh, might be attending today, and then we'll just go ahead and get started. Um, in the meantime, if you guys would like to start putting your questions in for us in the chat box or the Q&A box, um, that would be great. This is going to be mostly a question and answer. We don't want to be talking the whole time. Uh, we're just going to start off with going over a few things with you, and um, then we're going to get right to the question. So if you want to start filling that up with your questions, we will get to that. Um, also, if you guys want to come on and talk with us directly over video or either over the phone, um, you can use the little raise your hand feature at the bottom and I can promote you guys to a panelist and we can kind of chat video that way. Or if you'd prefer, we can also do the question and answer box or the chat box to answer your questions. Both Ray and I will receive those. So, um, Let's go ahead and get started. First of all, I just wanna thank everybody for coming today um, and getting more information from us. Um, we're happy to be here today and answer questions for you. Um, my biggest thing as being in the medical field as part of a flight crew is that I think there's just not a lot of information disseminated out there for people who are interested in the position. I know when I first started, I had to go to people that I did know doing it, but there was still different um, philosophies on how to get there and different people's opinions. And so this is mainly this webinar to really offer that to you guys at whatever stage you are in, whether you're already a medic, whether you're an EMT, whether you're a nurse or a pre-nursing student, um, this is just to give you guys an opportunity of kind of 
um, how to get there, the quickest way to get there, and any questions that you might have that come up for you on challenges of how to get there. Um, this is also for people who already are nurses or are medics who are considering taking that next step. Um, kind of the things that you need to be doing to um, advance yourself and um, help yourself in the learning process. And then it is also for people who are already doing it. If we do already have any flight medics or flight nurses out there, um, my program and coaching people, mentoring people um, goes beyond that as well and helps them really get confidence if they have any self-doubt um, into being the best uh, person that they can be in that role and that position. So um, most of you guys know me because you found me through Instagram, but my name is Janessa. I have been flying for almost five and a half years now. Um, I've been a nurse for over 10 years, I think 12 years now. Um, I've done all critical care and um, flights really opened my world to just having a lot of autonomy to really practice under a large amount of protocols and really serve my patient one patient at a time and really be able to think with another partner and care for a patient um, in a way that is so different from the hospital and any other pre-hospital experience that I've, I've previously had. So um, that's myself. I'm gonna let Ray introduce himself now. Hey guys, my name's Ray. <clears throat> like Janessa said, I've been a, I'm a flight paramedic and I've been a flight paramedic for, in June, it'll be 10 years and a paramedic for 14 years. So <clears throat> again, it's, it's a great, great career. And uh, you know, any questions you have, we're more than happy to answer them at the best to the best of our ability. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and start putting your questions in there. I don't see any yet, but if you guys have any questions that you're thinking of as it's happening, um, please put them in the chat box or the Q&A box. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you guys now. Okay, can you see that? Okay. All right. Um, these are kind of things that I've compiled for most requirements for a lot of flight nursing companies. I don't want to generalize this for every flight nursing company because it depends on the territory that you're applying in, the county that you're applying in, um, your state requirements. Everybody is a little bit different. For the most part, though, it is a minimum of three years. There are some programs that are only one year critical care or ER experience, but most of the programs are three years. And however, some are more than that. So under requirements, I did put three to five years, either ICU or ER experience. I get asked this a lot, which is better? And I don't think that there is a better route. I think do genuinely what you're most interested in. If you're most interested in going to ER, go ER route. If you're most interested in critical care and ICU, go ICU route. Um, it doesn't matter which route you go um, as far as being a good applicant. It's really just knowing those areas that you are weaker in when it comes to application time and really um, gaining more knowledge getting more knowledge in those areas so that you can be a strong applicant when it comes. Um, there also are the basic requirements of ACLS, BLS, and PALS. Um, those are usually requirements that you have to have as well. There are other testing or um, CEN or CCRN certifications that is usually not required. Some programs do require it, but usually not, um, but it does look good 
on your resume and does look good on your certifications if you do have it. So I would encourage you if you are able to get your CEN or CCRN, it will make you look that much better as an applicant. Um, they do like some sort of trauma certification. So just get with whatever company that you're applying with and see what it is, whether it's PHTLS, ATCN, TNCC, they do usually require one type of certification. If they don't, then they will give you your own certification once you are um, or once you are offered a position with them, they will give you a certain amount of time to complete that with their program. Um, and then the biggest thing is just having critical thinking skills. That's why they want the time at the bedside because they want you to see enough patients, have enough diagnoses, enough time there to really be able to think beyond just what's on the monitor. And so when I say critical thinking, I say, you know, even though the monitor looks good and the vital signs look good, what is it that you're anticipating with that patient that could be going wrong? And what is it that you might see going on with that patient that doesn't necessarily translate to the monitor? Those are what good critical thinking skills are. In the bigger picture, these flight companies are looking for qualities because everybody meets these requirements to be able to apply. The qualities that they're looking for are trustworthiness, having good teamwork, rapport with patients and other staff, and really getting the orders and the things that you need for your patient without taking no from a physician. Um, these are things that I work on, like personally with my one-to-one -one on people that I'm mentoring and coaching in whatever area that you're in right now, whatever um, skills that you have right now, um, whether you're already in the ICU ER or whether you're pre-nursing or pre-hospital right now or considering it. Um, these are kind of the things that I hone in with my clients as far as um, figuring out what their weaknesses are and really helping them make that a strong foundation to be able to meet these requirements and get there the quickest that they can. Um, a lot of the application processes for these programs require a critical care test. Some of them don't, some of them will do it in the interview. So really prepping for the critical care test. Um, a lot of them will offer a pre-screening interview to even see if they're gonna bring you to the panel interview position. Um, and then uh, some of them will have a pharmacology test, definitely like a medication test where they will um, ask you about inotropes or pressors or any other IV meds that they want to get more information on of if they know you have the knowledge of them and when is okay to use them. Um, it's definitely a lot of scenario-based questions. So they're going to ask you a medical case, a trauma case, a cardiac case pediatric infants, they focus on all those different types of patients. And I have been in some interviews where they do a little bit of x-ray. They're gonna look at a chest x-ray, ask you um, if the placement of the ET tube is correct, where your post-pyloric tube is or your OG tube is. Um, so that is a possibility as well. So those are kind of things that they're looking for in a flight nurse. And I'm gonna let Ray go ahead and talk about kind of what you're looking for in preparation to become a flight medic. Yeah, so the flight medic, um, go, can you leave that uh, thing up there, Janessa? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the flight medic, what, what they look for is, we'll start with qualities. All the qualities are the same as any other clinician, um, the same as trustworthy, um, critical thinking, and uh, teamwork. It's definitely communication is key. The application process is all the same because what during flight and a flight career you, I am, I am obligated to know as much as Janessa knows as a nurse. I can't do everything, but I, I say uh, you're working with your partner and they want to give a certain drug. You need, I need to know what that drug does and if that patient really needs it or it'll 
worsen the patient's condition. <clears throat> as far as requirements go, um, they're about the same, three years, uh, preferably a busy 911 system. Uh, same, the medics usually have ACLS, PALS, uh, PHTLS or ITLS. And then if, if you, the thing is, is I can, I can answer this question uh, that I got here with all this. Um, you have those basic certifications as requirements and then they'll test you or they'll, um, you'll take a test and then an interview process and a second interview and scenarios. And they just wanna get to know how much clinical experience you have. And these scenarios are not gonna be the basic paramedic scenarios. There may be some scene calls, but where, where we lack as paramedics is the inner facility part. So in order to really get a boost or a bump, you know, and before you go to these interview processes is to get, learn as much as you can. If, you know, you have ACLS, PALS, PHTLS, ITLS, go ahead and go to these websites for example, like FlightBridge or IAMED, and they have flight or critical care paramedic um, PowerPoints and videos. And it, it does cost quite a bit, but during the, I've been on these interviews, and one of my questions is to the, to the <clears throat> candidate is, what have you done to prepare yourself? And if they say nothing compared to someone who says, hey, yeah, I've started my flight paramedic um, videos. I've learned this. I've learned that. I got this book. I've, you know, done ride-alongs. Um, definitely says more to me that that person really wants this job. If they've already got their flight paramedic certification, their critical care paramedic certification, which the flight paramedic and the critical care paramedic, you don't need any years of experience in order to get those certifications. They're board certifications for paramedics and, um, you can go and get and find books on Amazon of critical care for paramedics, and it teaches you beyond what a ground paramedic knows. Um, <clears throat> so definitely uh, to make yourself look better against other candidates is ride-alongs. Know the job you're getting into, what is required of you, and the high standard that they want you at. Because there was another company I worked for, and the interview process was really not for a a paramedic that was straight off the ambulance. I luckily had years of experience and they give you scenarios of a inner hospital and they, they give you all these labs. They give you the scenario and by the look of the labs, you know, you have to know what these regular labs are and then kind of question and that'll lead to your questioning to find out what's really going on. You know, uh, 12 leads as far as like know your 12 leads because these companies erase the interpretation off the computer. So we have to manually interpret these 12 leads. Um, again, that's beyond the simple requirement of three years and your basic certifications, um, but it'll make you look better and you'll be a better candidate and always be willing to learn. I myself learn stuff all the time still and review stuff all the time because it's just education is nonstop with this job. Because as you guys know, medicine is always changing and protocols are being taken out and being put in and being put in. So that'll, that'll pad your resume. And also that gives you the requirements uh, just to apply. Perfect, thanks Ray. Um, I, 
have one question already in our um, Q&A and feel free everybody to start putting your questions in there. But one thing that I wanted to address too is that um, the reason why I started my mentoring and my coaching program um, is because, like I said, I didn't feel like when I wanted to go through the process, there was a lot of information out there. And having now sat in a lot of interviews and um, been able to interview other people, I, I have this idea of, you know, more of the qualities that they're looking for in these people instead of just the qualifications. And so um, wherever you are at any step of this process, that's kind of what working together with me looks like um, at the coaching and the mentoring level. We'll work on things that you feel a little bit weaker on. So if you are an ER nurse, we're going to work on ICU concepts. If you are an ICU nurse, we're going to work on some ER concepts, pediatric and infant scenarios. Um, and then um, this first question kind of has a little bit to do with that too. So I'll go ahead and read that here in a second, but I also will help you with your resumes and um, really feeling good before um, the interview, the interview process of exactly walking you through everything and then helping you with the obstacles and the self-doubt that you might be having along the way. Um, so here is the first question. Um, and then I'll have Ray, he can talk about it too, but Brandon asked, I'm a paramedic student at UCLA currently in my internship phase. Once I completed school, do you have any tips on bettering my resume to separate myself from different candidates going in for flight besides 911 experience? And Ray, I'll let you go ahead and answer that since you kind of typed in there too. Uh, yeah. Um, like I, like I said, um, you know, just the extra education, uh, the certs, um, you can go on an NAEMT and they provide uh, a various states and locations of where you can get these extra certs like advanced medical life support, any pediatric courses. But I, you know, the IE Med and the Flight Bridge are really the main ones. Um, like I said, it costs some money, but these videos, they're, they're like 30 hours of information. And it goes, again, like it may, when I first started this, it took me, I was looking at these videos two or three times because they want you to understand labs, balloon pumps, different drugs, vasopressors, and, and more trauma stuff that the ground paramedics, especially here in Fresno County where I worked on the ground, we didn't know. Or, and so these programs really prep you for the job. And again, I know some places don't allow because of COVID, but if you can get a ride along and, and, and ask as many questions as you possibly can, because that will really, I mean, if I see that on a resume that you have, you know, you're studying for your flight paramedic or, you know, luckily there's these programs now because when I started, there was one program maybe and I had to self-study. And so it's a lot of self-study, but these really help and go take your flight paramedic certification or go attempt it. Same with your critical care paramedic, go attempt it because you don't, you don't learn a lot from this. And if I, as a, as a person who's interviewing, if I see this, I see that you're serious about the job and I will put more effort into hiring you and teaching you um, than someone who applied for the job but hasn't done anything. Yeah, and along the lines of your resume as well, like I tell everybody that I work with, have your resume ready, like ready to go, filled out as if you were to be asked for an interview today, because when you have it ready, you have it available. If someone were to come out and ask you, hey, you know, I really liked, um, I like what you're doing. Do you have a resume you can send me? So always have it available, always have it updated um, so that 
in that day, in that very moment, you have something to offer to them as well. So um, someone else asked, I'm a current nursing student and have always been interested in flying one day after gaining the experience. I have two years of ED experience, tech experience and currently work on a trauma step down unit at a level one. I'm curious what else I can be doing now to increase my experience, understanding and knowledge to put me in a better position to not only enter the ER ICU after school, but prepare for down the road when flight nursing may be an option. So um, Noah, I would definitely say that this is, if flight nursing is what you're interested in, you can prepare for it right now as a nursing student. And the nursing student clients that I work with, I basically encourage them to get a student intern or a student nurse position on the floors that they are interested in. Um, so if you're interested in going to ER, get your student intern or student nurse position in the ER at the specific hospital and specific floor that you wanna work on, or if it's ICU, get an intern position there. Um, I think a lot of nurses forget that that's an option because they um, think that maybe the manager might not work with them for their hours and their days that they need as far as school, but it's actually very the opposite. And a lot of these positions, the managers want to hire you on post-graduation. So they're willing to work with you during your time in school to make it manageable for you to be a student intern or a student nurse because they want the school to be your top priority at that point. So if you wanna get into flight nursing, get yourself into the best possible position to be hired in as a new grad, either on the ICU floor you want or the ER floor that you want. And if you wanna stay at a level one, get yourself um, either as an ED tech, but more so see if they have a student intern position, because a lot of these positions will let you, as you sign off and check off things in nursing school, will let you do them in the position that you're in. So for example, you start checking off Foley's and NG tubes and IVs, then you're gonna be able to do that in your position as a student nurse intern. So um, that's what I would recommend for that. If you're unsure about which way to go, then I would say go the route that you're most interested in, what you think you would be most interested in. And always know that you can change that. If down the line ER is not what you're foreseeing it to be and you don't want to be an ER nurse, then you can try to get an intern position in the ICU. But um, if you're already working, then you already understand the challenges that go along with that as far as working and going to school. So um, try to get in that unit that you are most interested in so it can guarantee you a contract post-graduation. Um, Ray, I'll let you answer this one. Um, she said, you mentioned ride-alongs. For a new RN grad, is this something you recommend waiting a period of time before seeking this experience? Um, no, actually. I mean, take as many ride-alongs as you can because, you know, when you ride along, yes, you don't have the experience, but you're, you know, you're like, hey, I, you may not fly, you may not like flying in helicopters or may just want to go on the airplane, um, you know, I, when I got hired and a, and a lot of times this happens is this is something like, I don't know if it's a liability with companies, but I feel before someone gets hired, they should fly in a helicopter to see how they, how they really feel about it. Um, but no, I don't think you, I would get to it as, as quick as possible. And, you know, maybe not every month, but you know, when you start six months down the road and if that way, cause you're not really going to know a hundred percent of what we do until you actually uh, are there with the ride along and it's very autonomous we have to you know we have standing orders but they're more like guidelines and if you can reason behind why you did or didn't do something you're fine um, but it's definitely I wouldn't there's no waiting period 
uh, just go ahead and, and get on a ride along as soon as you can. And, and, you know, that way you get the experience of what it is and ask questions to the crew. And maybe they'll give you some other answers that you can go and uh, find information on. Yeah, I, I definitely encourage people um, to do ride-alongs too at any point that they're at. It just really depends on your local um, company that you are interested in, kind of what their stipulations are. I know currently for us, ours is you have to be able to qualify to be an applicant to ride with us. But it is a good idea to not only understand if you can work in a moving environment, but the culture, right? Because the number one thing that's important to us besides pay and our schedule is that we love the people that we work with. And so you get an idea of when you visit the base, what the base culture is like. And that's really important for which base that you choose. Um, all the people that I work with, I tell them apply to multiple places, apply to all the places you're interested in, and then go visit the base because you will get a good understanding of just them living together for 24 hours, what the culture is like, what the teamwork is like um, at the place that you're deciding to apply for. I don't see, oh, I see one other question come up here. Do you have any recommended counties that have a busy 911 system? I'm based in LA County and I really don't have a good knowledge of counties around me. Ray, I'm gonna let you answer that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I worked in LA as an EMT back in the day and it was busy. Um, <clears throat> now, as far as all the other, Kern County is really busy. That's north of the grapevine there. I worked in, you know, anything really in the valley, Kern County, Tulare County, uh, Kings County and Fresno County. The thing I liked about Fresno County is the ambulance company here, American Ambulance, is paramedic and EMT. And the fire departments are either volunteer BLS or the their full-time BLS fire department. So meaning that when I was on scene, I was the sole paramedic on scene that made all the calls and the and the judgment and everything else, which gave me great experience because we have the Sierra Mountains and the rural areas on the I-5 that in a helicopter takes 23 minutes to get to, but the furthest out west station, even though you get a dispatch is about 20, 30 minutes to the I-5. So for example, you know, I've had, one time I worked out there, I had an MCI, I was the only paramedic out there with a couple of helicopters coming um, for a good 30 minutes until the others came over by ground. I know LA, <clears throat> LA, you, you know, you have hospitals here and there, depending on the area. I don't know much of LA County. I worked in East LA, Southgate, uh, Compton area. Um, so those were hospitals that were close by. But as far as other counties, you know, just I really just know the Central Valley here and we're extremely busy and the, the policies here are great too and the protocols. So, I mean, the, the, as far as the counties go, um, those are the only ones I can really speak of, but definitely try to find something where you're not, because when there's too many chiefs on scene, you know, not a lot of stuff gets done. People butt heads. I've been on scene where there was two paramedics. They wanted to do something. The other one wanted to do something and they just kind of battle it out. Um, but here in Fresno County, it's nice that, you know, I was the only paramedic that made those decisions. And it, the experience is great because you make a decision and whether it's good or bad, you have to go with it and find out and learn from that situation. 
Right. Uh, someone just wanted some follow up on the education that you had mentioned, IA Med and FlightBridge. And I put in that in the chat box um, for everyone to see. So it's typed out what the programs were. But the yeah. question was, uh, could you repeat the place to find those videos you discussed using as a study tool? And are they available online? Uh, yes. So what you typed in there, FlightBridge and IA Med. I haven't seen the website of IA Med, but I know coworkers that have it. Um, and FlightBridge ED, um, they are both online. And these are the ones that I know of personally because I've done the FlightBridge with my recertifications. We have to do that FlightBridge 30 hour program. And they also have other programs on there too that you can buy separately as far as oxygen ventilation, um, vent management, all that. And another thing um, that I didn't mention, but I typed it in uh, to the initial person who had the question was uh, medical conferences. Uh, for example, FlightBridge ED, I'm headed to one of their conferences in May uh, that is geared towards critical care and flight. And they go through anything from vent management and different conferences on balloon pumps or, or other scenarios. Um, so all these medical conferences, AMTC, Air Medical Transport Conference, uh, Critical Care Transport Medical Conference, um, these FlightBridge conferences. If you go on FlightBridge, they, they will also have they'll show you the conferences they have in person and online. And then um, for the paramedics, uh, EMS World Expo is actually really good too, because if you're just starting out, they have classes for EMTs, paramedics, supervisors, education, but they also have critical care, which is good because it's kind of a gradual, uh, on, a gradual learning for what these flight bridge offer also. So they'll go over vasopressors, but it's really, those are for paramedics um, on the critical care side and just learning the critical care side where these other conferences may be a little too advanced uh, for someone just getting out of medic school. Um, but yeah, I mean, try it, the IAMED, the FlightBridge, and like you mentioned, the books. Um, uh, there was a book, it's uh, Critical Care. If you just type in Critical Care on Amazon, they'll come up with um, some books too. Yeah, and I just put in that ASNA transport book. I'm I'm not exactly sure what the exact title is, but if you type in ASNA transport um, transport book, something along those lines, it'll come up on Amazon, and that is the one that I love to use with all of my clients because it's pretty all inclusive of infants, geriatric, trauma, medical, cardiac, it has all of those things in there. And it really takes that on the critical care level and puts it into the transport field and just things that we are more concerned about um, instead of, you know, um, in hospital care. So that's a great book for that if you're looking for a little bit something that's more advanced, but I have done both IA Med and FlightBridge and those are both really great programs. It's just depends on how you learn the best. Um, I admit I'm not sure, but I know FlightBridge only has a certain amount of time that you can have that purchase that um, learning for. Is that correct, right? I think it was yeah, like I three months or six year. months. It's, it's I, the one I got that the company gave me to research was a year. Okay, yeah. Um, put in more questions that you guys have for us and feel free if you want to raise your hand, we can bring you on a video if that's um, you want to do that as well. Um, but ask us the nitty gritty, ask us the things that you really have questions on, like that we are 100% here for you. So, um, don't hesitate to ask us anything. Um, 
someone else did put, what kind of schedules do you both work in terms of throughout the week? And each flight company is a little bit different, but our company does 24 hour shifts and we do a rotating 24 hour shift. So basically we work one 24 hour shift on, we work one off in between, and then it's followed by our second 24 hour shift during the week. And then we have five days off in a row. So it is I feel like the most ideal schedule I have ever worked because I'm the opposite of normal people's schedules, I guess. I have five days off in a row and I work two full days. Um, I recently just went part-time because I am focusing more on my mentoring program, uh, mentoring and uh, coaching business. So I only now work one day a week and then um, I'm focusing on my business. And Ray is full-time flight medic, but do you wanna talk about other things that you also do, Ray, because you have those five days off and you have interest in other things as well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the schedule's great. The schedule's great. Um, I also do a adjunct, I'm an adjunct instructor for the paramedic and EMT classes in Sacramento at American River College. So, you know, with the schedule, it's great. I mean, a lot of us are five days off, but we have to be busy. So many of us just pick up overtime. Uh, like this week, I worked three and a half days. I mean, picking up overtime always looks good on the computer until you have to work it. Um, <laughs> but no, it's- Or until it's, they take the taxes out. Yeah. At the end. It, it, yeah. It, it's actually great because really when you're working 24 hour shifts, you're not, you're there for 24 hours. For example, yesterday, I worked yesterday. I didn't get a call until uh, five o'clock. I had that one call as a scene call down south, uh, and we got done uh, from back from the hospital within an hour, and then we charted for about an hour and a half, and then I slept all night. So they, you know, when you're there, I was studying, um, you know, I study other stuff, or we watch TV, or we play cards, or whatever, you know, and or we go over scenarios. We have a quarterly, what they call quarterly innovation stuff, where they give us four scenarios. And we have to all discuss them and what we do and why. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it's a great schedule and it leaves options for other stuff too. Um, Ray, Brandon asked, what is the difference between the flight paramedic exam and the critical care paramedic exam? Do you need to take both exams to go into flight? Oh, that's a really good question. So <clears throat> I've taken both exams. I've always, I almost walked out of the critical care one a couple of times because it was extremely difficult. You don't need both. Um, it looks better if you have both. Uh, flight, and again, this is just me. Other people may say the flight was the hardest one ever, but I took both of them. To me, the flight was more, hey, do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know how to calculate the cerebral perfusion pressure from the ICP and the map? Uh, here's these numbers, which one? Uh, acid, you know, Metabolic acidosis versus respiratory acidosis. For the critical care one, luckily I had just got out of physiology. And so the critical care one has more to do with the pathophysiology side of things. For example, they would say, you know, what would happen with a patient if they were under resuscitated? So you kind of have to figure the fluid shifts um, and then other drugs, like there was one that threw me off of like, hey, you know, there's this paralytic and this is organophosphate overdose how much would you need more or less? And so I had to think of what receptor it went to, um, which one has more affinity for that. And, and so the critical care one is more difficult for that I thought, because like I said, I almost walked out two or three times. Um, but 
definitely take both of them. If you, even if you fail both, that's okay. You know what kind of material each of them ask. And to me, the FPC was a little easier, which, you know, and the FPC really, you have to know more aviation stuff with the FPC, which these videos will teach you, but they go over a lot of the flight physiology part of it. Um, and the gas laws, Boyle's law, Dalton's law, um, and what you and how you would see this and what you could do about it. So no, you don't need both, um, but it always looks better if you have both. And the flight one is a little easier with my experience. And I would always, and I don't know if you feel like this too, right? I always encourage people to not take the flight one right away unless they really want to, because that's what you're gonna learn on the job. And then when you can have like real life situations of things that you've done on the job and you have a hard question come up on the test, then you really know how to apply that and really how to figure out the answer. Um, it's not necessary, of course you can do it before, but um, learning the job I think will be helpful in taking the test. And I really struggled with the flight test. I'm the opposite. I'm a horrible, horrible test taker. Um, and so the flight test for me, the CFRN was really difficult for me. So, um, but having the knowledge of being able to put previous experiences and previous transport experience into it really helped me with the scenarios where I was choosing between one answer and another answer. So someone else asked the PALS and ACS, are those something you can do as a brand new RN grad as well? Absolutely. Um, I think those are great courses to have no matter what level you are at. And also um, paramedics get that course as well. You just learn so much from it, even if you don't even deal with pediatric, um, what to do in emergency situations. A lot of it is scenario based, which is great. That's a lot how I do my teaching. And that's how most of these flight nursing flight paramedic interviews go. It's a lot of scenario based. So um, I think those are great courses to take as a new grad. It's absolutely um, really a good thing to have. How do you feel, Ray? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. The, if you can take them, the better, the better it will be in your knowledge and your experience. And same, I forgot to mention, uh, in the flight, we do a lot of um, high-risk uh, OB calls and uh, pediatrics and hopefully not too many neonates, but because that's handled by usually NICU teams. But there's a couple, there's try to get as many pediatric courses under your belt. And that's one thing that we will never, unless you're a pediatric nurse or a, you know, a neonate nurse, you're comfortable with. But there's a a class, uh, you know, um, neonatal resuscitation and a class called stable, uh, which is also a neonatal course. Uh, but I forgot to mention those. Those are something that you would want to look into also as far as um, flight goes and, and your education. But yeah, the ACLS, the PALS, it's definitely, if you can get it, go for it. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that we talk about right now, and I know it can seem really overwhelming, but to put it back to, you know, what the basic was for me, I just had four years of ICU experience and nothing else. I never did pre-hospital. Um, I never had ER experience. I never had a balloon pump patient, an LVAD patient, an impella patient. I never taken care of a pediatric or an infant or a high-risk OB. And so these were things that my company, they really do some strong education on. And I've really learned over the years, they do not expect you to be an expert at all of these levels and all of these different things. They wanna know that you can critically think no matter what situation and what patient scenario that you have in, based on that experience that you do hold, that you can make a strong decision um, and have a good outcome for your patient. 
Um, and so it is your responsibility as the, as the nurse and as the paramedic to really go out and seek those areas where you are a little bit weaker in. So I took some courses and I did some online IA Med and Flight Bridge too to kind of bridge that gap of what I knew I was weaker in. And, um, you know, that is what I offer too, as well, is to help you bridge the gap of the areas that you may not have been exposed to as much. So really seek those out, but don't be overwhelmed by all these other things that some people are getting. Go in the direction that you're most interested in and then um, build on that um, with educating yourself. So another question was, um, I'm an ER nurse at a level one trauma center here in Fresno County. I strive to become a flight nurse in the future. Being a new grad RN nurse at a level one trauma, I have, few, I have a few worries and questions in mind. First, being a new grad nurse at a level one trauma center takes a bit of time for a new grad RN to handle higher acuity patients compared to being a new grad RN at a smaller hospital. Do you recommend me going to a smaller hospital wherein I'll be able to handle different types of acuity um, patients or stay in a level one trauma center, grind it out and put in my three years experience. I love that you asked this question because this is the number one question that I get asked and it's asked in a various um, different ways. And I'll let Ray respond to this too, having worked with a lot of nurses um, and trained a lot of nurses. But um, with my experience, and I'm gonna answer it this way and then I'm gonna answer it your way as well. People ask me, is it better for me to be in a higher acuity hospital or is it okay that I work in a rural five bed ER? And I say, either is fine. You create different nurses out of both those scenarios. Um, you have a nurse that is exposed at a level one trauma to a lot of different patients, burn patients, pediatric, you know, everything that goes to level one, you're gonna see. Um, so you're going to get a ton of experience in that. And if that is something that is really important to you, definitely keep doing it. Overwhelm, if you're not feeling overwhelmed, and if you're not feeling like you're struggling, then you're not adding to your tool belt. And I think that's just part of the process. And you want to be able to be that person that can push through that and gain as much experience as you can. Because when you move to the flight level, it's going to be like that all over again, you're going to feel overwhelmed, and it's going to be a new environment, but you're going to have known that you did it already. And you're going to prove to yourself that you did it and so that you can do it again. So definitely, if that's something that you want, my biggest piece of advice is just keep going through it and doing the best that you can because you're going to learn so much. If you're the nurse that's at a hospital, a little five bed ER, or a little five bed ICU, you are going to turn into such a resourceful nurse because you are not going to always have a physician there at your side. You're not always going to be able to have the order when you need to have it. You're not going to have all the equipment when you need to have it. And so it's going to just teach you other things that you're not going to be able to experience at a level one trauma center or at a hospital where you have all of those things needed at, at the blink of an eye. So um, it's gonna teach you so much about yourself, learning to trust yourself, learning to be resourceful, getting what you need and figuring out how to get it. So those two experiences are still gonna make a really good flight nurse. It's just, um, just two different hospitals and that's okay. Um, they just wanna show that you have good critical thinking skills and that you're a good, um, team member and that you're trustworthy and then you always get what you need for your patient. Ray, what is your take on that and seeing different nurses come from different places? Um, you know, I, 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 I think your answer was great. Um, it's all what you make of your position. Um, I've, you know, I've had, I don't want to say good and bad nurses, just different. I've had 
great nurses come from rural facilities, smaller hospitals, and great nurses come from trauma centers. Um, it's all what you make of the position. Just know, know what you don't know. So when you come in, be humble, uh, be ready to learn. And like you get it from some, some people from level one trauma centers, uh, not everybody, but they'll come in a little overconfident. Um, and then you have the people from rural hospitals come in overconfident also because they've been here 20 years or so, which is great. I mean, all the experience is great, uh, but just know there's still a lot to learn. And like you were saying, Janessa, we, we're autonomous. We, we have orders, um, but we don't need a specific, on, on some flights, you don't need orders from a doctor right then and there. We have to make that decision. Um, so again, just your experience in both is great. I mean, if you want to stay at the level one trauma center, great, just make the most of it. And if you want to go to a rural hospital, you know, that's great also, because again, you'll, you'll see every, to me, what I see in these hospitals, like our level one trauma center, if you head to the green zone, you'll be there for a certain amount of time and won't see certain types of patients where if you're in a smaller hospital, you have no choice but to see these certain type of patients. Um, so either or whatever you decide you want to do, I think they're both great. And just remember, at that three years, you meet the requirement. For example, at three years as a paramedic, I did not apply because I felt I was not ready. Um, so again, that was a personal thing for me. So at the fourth year, it opened up again and I I was ready and I passed everything and I'm, you know, and it was great. The education was great and I learned a ton and I'm still learning now. Yeah, and one thing I would have to offer to, um, you know, after doing this for a while and um, starting brand new in all of these positions is get yourself a good mentor. Um, you know, whether that's me or whether that's someone on your floor that you're starting with or a preceptor or someone that you know that you can reach out to and that you can, you can trust no matter what, because you're going to want to let them know all the things that you're struggling with and what the things that you should be looking for. And there's going to be good weeks and there's going to be bad weeks. And that's the person that you're going to want to get with. Um, so I would really encourage you to find a good mentor as well, or a good preceptor. Uh, the next question is, as an EMT at um, AA, which I would think is American Ambulance, would it be possible to still do a ride-along or only for nurses and medics? Um, you know, I'm not 100% on that. I mean, I don't see why you couldn't do it as an EMT. I, I don't see why at all. Um, but again, you would have to get uh, a hold of the area manager here locally uh, to ask that question because I'm not 100%. I don't mind if EMTs, I, I like it if you're interested early it's great to get started early because if you do want to do this as an EMT, that means you will make the most out of paramedic school and you will make the most out of your paramedic experience and continue your education, which is great. Um, but again, you'll have to get a hold of the area manager locally um, to find out whether you can uh, do the ride along as an EMT. Again, I don't see why not. I, I have had in the past ED techs do it and, um, and it's worked out so yeah and I think the biggest thing is never don't be afraid to ask for anything like you know if if you want to try to do it just don't be afraid to ask and maybe the answer is no not right now or you have to wait but maybe the answer is yeah sure fine come do eight hours with us come do a ride along you know so um just don't be afraid to ask if that's something that you're thinking just go for it and do it 
Um, and I, one thing I want to say about that too, is that both those local people that asked the question, our company that, that we worked for since it was a local company before we got taken over by a national company, they want people who are local. We want people on our team who are local because we know that they have skin in the game. They know the patient clientele, they know the area, and they're going to be with us for a long time. And there's going to be longevity in the company. So um, remember that as you're applying to your local companies, like they're going to look at you first because we want to have local people who know the area and we know the patient clientele. Uh, the next question is, I've heard from some nurses that Flight nurses perform many more types of tasks than you would in a facility, such as something a doctor may perform in a hospital. Do you have any additional info regarding this? I'll let you answer that, Ray. Um, okay. Sorry, I was reading another one over here. Okay. Um, okay, I can answer it. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'll get so, it. Um, just for example, at, we have a ton of autonomy and yeah, we do get to do a lot of other tasks. For example, we get to do intubations. We get to, to do RSI drugs. Um, we have a huge protocol book that we work off of. So it allows us to use all sorts of medications like TXA. We can give blood. We run that all over our protocol without having to have a physician's order. Um, we also are able to do escarotomies, surgical crikes, and chest tubes. Of course, that is based on what your county policy is. So we are limited um, based on what your county is um, and what they say and what your local hospital, your base hospital uses or doesn't use. Um, but we do get to perform a lot of additional tasks that a lot of doctors get to do in the hospital setting, which makes it so fun. Like that's the best part of our job being able to intubate patients, I would say. Um, I don't know if you agree, Ray, but I love that part about it. Oh, definitely. And you know, with the, it's, and like you said, it's depending on the area and they, the company we work for, they take the education seriously where once a year, I mean, coming up in July for me, uh, we have cadaver lab. So we'll go and until about a year and a half ago, I had never done a needle crank on a I wouldn't say a live person, but on a, on a cadaver before. So I, you never know how it truly feels. Same with a surgical right. Even though I can't do it here locally, every year, last year, I was the first cut, um, you know, the, to do the surgical crike. And I did the whole thing and I've never done one and I can't do it here locally, but in other states where I just got my licenses, you can. Um, same with chest tubes and escarotomies. And I mean, it's, a lot of stuff that we can do, like Janessa said, a lot of stuff we can do that in the hospital you can't do. Even as medics, I can now, they adopted a unified scope here locally, so I can help if I worked with Janessa. I can push uh, the paralytic and sedatives, so I can help her with that, where in the past, it would always be her pushing the drugs, her intubating or I intubating, but she would always have to push, push the drugs. But now, they let the par flight paramedics push those paralytics and sedatives. So we have more responsibility, but we're also helping out our partner. Ray, do you wanna answer this other question um, that Annabelle put in the Q&A? Uh, yeah, it says, I'm, I'm in medical school right now, almost finished. Do you recommend taking a critical care course? At my school, they have one. I know I have all these, I have a ways to go to becoming a flight medic, but I'd wanna do anything to jumpstart the goal. Um, Will that help or are there other things I should be looking into this early? You know, to be honest, I think you're down the right path, but focus, I would focus on finishing paramedic school. Um, 
and getting your experience uh, from whatever uh, position you get. Once you get your paramedic position and once the national registry is done, focus on that first. And then, yeah, I, I would initially probably take anatomy physiology again or those anatomy and, or just a physiology course. Me, myself, myself, I, anatomy is difficult for me. I like physiology more where you actually learn how things happen and the patho of it. Um, but look at taking anatomy, physiology and the critical care course. And definitely, I mean, once you get done with medic school and your national registry and your state license, continue that and get, you know, take that critical care course. If you don't get everything, that's fine you know, get some books, get some programs, and definitely keep on going with it. Uh, but definitely focus on finishing up your paramedic course, getting your national registry. Um, because I, I say that because I went back recently and to re and re uh, took the national just to get my national back. And you really have to think differently when I had to think differently from what I know now to what the national wants. And so focus on that national and everything you learn from medic school to pass it. And then, yeah, once you get a position, go ahead and start that class and anatomy and physiology. And that way you can, the reason I say anatomy and physiology, because you can understand how these advanced drugs for the medics, like the levofed or dobutamine, how they work and why. Um, so that's why I recommend taking anatomy physiology or just a physiology course, because uh, it'll help you through the rest of your critical care stuff. We do have more time for any questions. I just don't see any in the queue. So feel free to continue to put anything in there. But I thought it would be um, nice for us to kind of answer some, some things that we get asked a lot. Um, so like what is the biggest piece of advice and what is the best part of flight nursing for you, Ray, that you would give someone? Oh man. Um, okay. Um, the biggest piece of advice would be to be able to take constructive criticism because you're, I don't know everything. And if we were to, you know, if we were to work together and you go, Hey, you know, why did you think dopamine was better than dobutamine? And this is why dobutamine's better. You know, I, I don't know everything and I'm able to take that criticism and just learn from it. Um, and then what was the other part of the question? It was, uh, why, what do you, what's your favorite part about being a flight medic? Oh, it's, I can be in LA in the morning, have some breakfast, be in San Francisco in the afternoon, take a flight to Vegas, break down and have to stay in Vegas overnight. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're everywhere, you're everywhere and you can do so much to help these patients that, you know, you're that instead of them going by ground four hours to San Francisco, it's an hour flight. And you get them there faster, these stroke patients, these patients with MIs. Um, you know, and the, out of my 10 years of flying, my highlight of my career was a place I went. I went into and landed in Yosemite. I mean, that to me, that's a highlight of my career so far. Wasn't that recent for you too? Yeah, probably like a couple months, no, yeah. about three, four months ago. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like I've yeah. been to Yosemite, but it was absolutely amazing just to see it from the sky and come in that way. 
Yeah. And I think like for me, just being able to know, you know, we don't always have these scenarios where it's a critical patient. Sometimes we show up and we're just taking someone from one place to the next because it's closer to their home. And it's not always critical or time sensitive, but I think about the calls that we've been on and, you know, the calls that you and I have done together too. And to be like so impacted by that one moment and to know that we are the only two people that can really save that person's life in that moment is just something that um, to be a part of and to be able to allow to practice um, is just something that you can't do in any other job. You just, um, it's just so impactful to know that we have the skills in that very moment to care for the people who need us at that very moment. And um, I, I love that about the job. Um, I also love the opportunity as well, like to not only work autonomously, but I, I can get licensed through our company to any state and I just got licensed in Hawaii. And so now they're asking me to fill some of the shifts in Hawaii, which is awesome. They're gonna pay for my day before and two days after my flight, my food, my car, everything. So just the opportunity that it allows you to really get out there and practice what you're really good at in different states and different areas, serve different communities, like. I just love that part about it as well. Oh yeah. And you know, on that same level as, as a paramedic here in California, we're limited, but I just, it took me 60 seconds, no joke to get my Arizona license. And then in Illinois, I have it for Illinois too, to go visit a friend. But in Illinois, I asked, and I can do ever I can start anything that you can. The only difference is you have to initiate blood transfusion. So mm -hmm. That means that I can start LevaFed. I can start this. I can start that. We're here in California. That's forbidden. Um, so other states, for example, New Mexico for medics and these flight nurses, if you do a needle thoracostomy, you have to do a chest tube. So, you know, that's something I wouldn't pick up my New Mexico license until after I go to cadaver lab and I practice that chest tube again. Um, but no, it's great. I think, like you said, travel and they pay your way. You mm -hmm. work that shift and they'll even let you get the hotel for a couple other nights to have a little extended vacation. And, yeah. and it, it's great the, the way they support you through all this. And cause you're covering a shift, you're helping them out. Um, you know, and Hawaii seems impossible for a paramedic to get. I just looked it up yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't see any other questions. So we appreciate you guys all being here today. And um, I listed Ray's profile on there. So I'm sure you can reach out to him if you guys have any questions for him. You okay. guys know where to reach out to me if you have any questions for me. If you are interested at any more one-on-one -on -one coaching, mentoring with me so that I can help you meet wherever you are right now and get to whatever goal you want as well, I am completely 100% here for you. Um, so you can reach out to me at my Instagram or Ray's Instagram and um, just grateful for you guys all taking the time to be here today and i uh, hope you guys have a good rest of the week take care yeah thanks guys if anything in this podcast or this webinar sparked an interest in you and you're interested in learning more about my program and about my coaching and mentoring service go ahead and reach out to me on instagram and i would be happy to help you guys with any questions that you might have um, so that's it for this week. And uh, I've got a lot planned for the next couple of weeks, a lot of interviews with um, a lot of people that uh, you'll be interested in meeting and that are friends of mine. And so I look forward to uh, being with you guys next week. All right. Bye.